0: If you brought your Bibles, please turn to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. We'll look at that in just a few minutes. Isaiah chapter 6. I did uh, mention that today begins the day of week of prayer for our international missionaries. The president of the International Mission Board is David Platt. Uh, Dr. Platt was... Former pastor of the Church of Brook Hills in Birmingham. He was recommended um, through our Southern Baptist Convention to, uh, to become the new president of our International Mission Board. Um, he's doing a fantastic job. He's having to make some uh, changes in regards to uh, personnel to some extent. Uh, this perhaps is one of the most important. Lot of Moon Christmas offerings that we have received in years. Every offering's been important. But uh, this offering really will depend on whether we will cut our international missionaries from five to eight hundred missionaries. It's gotten to the point where giving to the corporate program is not what it should be to support all of our missionaries and so it's very important that churches are encouraged to give uh, more than they've ever given uh, to the corporate program and to the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. We received two major offerings in regards to missions. One's the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. It goes named from, uh, named from a, a missionary to China, Lottie Moon, and um, our international mission offering, uh, it's taken around uh, Christmas. We'll have our March to the Manger where we'll come by. You'll have, um, you can give any time uh, during the month of December, but we'll have envelopes for you uh, a couple of weeks prior to the 20th, um, probably the 13th, and you can bring your envelope. We come together, receive the offering at one time. Our goal is $3,000. Hopefully, we'll give uh, above that. It takes about $4,300 a day to support uh, international missionary, And so uh, it would be great if we could just support one day of one missionary's life. And so be praying in what God would have you to give. In regards to the offering, Dr. Platt has given resources. And one, he published a sermon outline uh, for pastors for today if they chose to use it. I really liked his outline, the passage of Scripture he used. And so I'd like to use that this morning. And the emphasis of the week of prayer is because of who he is. Because of who he is. And so the question we need to answer this morning is why should we be willing to pray? Why should we be willing to uh, to give? And, And why should we be willing to go in regards to missions? Why should I go to my neighbor who lives down the street? Or, or more than that, why should I go to a, another country to share the gospel? Or even more than that, why should I go to a, a difficult country like Iraq or, or Sudan or uh, Syria or Pakistan, or one of those countries? Why should I be willing to go to, like, Uganda, or to China? We have missionaries in all those countries. Why should I be willing to give a substantial amount to missions instead of my just normal $20 to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering or $20 to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering? Maybe God wants me to give more. You ever thought about that than just the normal amount that... That perhaps you give year after year after year. Why should we spend a lengthy time in prayer for our missionaries? Why should we do that? Why why should we give and why should we pray and why should we go? Um, why must every Christian say, "Here am I, Lord, uh, send me." Here am I, Lord. I'll give whatever you want me to give. Here am I, Lord. I'll pray whenever you want me to pray for missionaries. Well, there are four reasons based on Isaiah 6 that uh, Dr. Platt pointed out, and I'd like to mention those this morning as I share Isaiah chapter 6, and let's look at 1 through 8, if you would. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphim's, Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. Terry, thank you for for singing and leading us in holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Isaiah speaking, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King of the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he would taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth, and he said, Lo, this has touched thy lips. Now notice and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Whom will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. Why should every Christian say, I will pray. I'll pray for missions. I'll pray for the missionaries. I'll give whatever I need to give. I'll do whatever I need to do. I'll go wherever I need to go. Why should we as Christians say those things? Well, number one, jot it down. Because we have an incomprehensible, glorious God, and our God reigns. I really like that. You know, notice in the year King Uzziah died. King Uzziah had been the king for 52 years. Our presidents reign from four to eight years. For many people in Isaiah's day, King Uzziah was the only person that they'd ever known as king, and now he died. And the throne was empty. The throne was void. And Isaiah goes and he begins to pray, and Isaiah looks up and he knows that although King Uzziah had died, he knows that God reigns and our God's reign has no end. Many presidents, their reign ends. Rulers, their reign ends. The kings, the dictators, all they come and go. But there's only one king that reigns forever, and that's the Lord God Almighty. Now you can say Amen anytime you want to in any of this. But think of that: our God reigns. Now notice, I, I, notice Isaiah surrounded, and he he notices the Lord God, and the Lord God is surrounded by seraphims. The word seraphim means burning ones. These are somewhat like angelic beings. They're they're literally burning. They're literally ablaze with the adoration of God. They live. Their purpose is to live and burn to worship God. Scripture tells us that that these angels are joined by others and all will be praising our Lord one day. Platt gave a wonderful illustration of a seraphim. He says tonight, and the, the duty of the seraphim, he says, Tonight after you and I lie down, after we go to sleep, after we begin to snore, Circling the throne of God. These seraphims will be singing and praising God's name. And when we wake up, they'll still be circling the throne of God, praising and glorifying God's name. They're even doing it right now. It just wasn't when Isaiah was praying he saw this image, but they're doing it now. It's a continual thing. And so when we begin to sing, Holy, Holy, Holy. We're not starting the song We're joining in the song. We're joining in what's already being sung around the throne of God. Now notice what they're singing. They're singing, holy, holy, holy. Simply meaning the angels can't explain this incomprehensible nature of God. So they just keep expressing God's nature by saying, holy, 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 holy. Meaning that He's without error. Meaning that He's without uh, he's, he's perfect. There's nothing wrong in God. God could not think of a wrong thought. God could not perform a wrong deed. God could not um, process a wrong motive. Everything in God is right. Everything in God is righteous. Everything in God is pure. Isaiah 40 verse 25 says, God is without equal. The song we sang just a few minutes ago, There's none other like this God. He is God. He's God Almighty. There's none like our God because He's uncomprehensible. We cannot understand all there is about Him. Now, some people forget the power of God. This happened in Isaiah 36. I think you'll have this on the screen. Isaiah 36, verse 18 probably a familiar passage of scripture, you had a, you had a pagan king, you had a king uh, by the name of Sennacherib, and Sennacherib encircles uh, Jerusalem, and Sennacherib begins to taunt uh, the king Hezekiah uh, about uh, surrendering, and how God will not be willing to help him and help the people. And so look, if you will, at Isaiah chapter 36, verse 18. He says, beware lest Hezekiah, he's talking to the king, talking to the people, he says, listen, be careful, lest Hezekiah persuade you, talking to Hezekiah, talking to the people, he said, people, listen, be careful, the king's going to persuade you, the Lord will deliver us. Hath any of the gods of the nation delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? He's, Hezekiah is going to tell you, our God's going to deliver us, but has it happened to any others? Has their gods delivered them? So if you will, go over to verse 23, or go down to verse 23, with that in mind. And he begins to taunt. And Isaiah 36, page stuck together. He begins to taunt them. Isaiah 37, I'm sorry, look at 37 verse 23. Isaiah 37, 23. He says, Whom hast thou reproached and blasphemed? Now he's speaking about this evil king. And and against whom hast thou exalted the voice and lifted up thine eyes on high? Even against the Holy One of Israel. By the servants hast thou reproached. Thou reproach the Lord. Thou hast said by the multitude of my chariots, I come up to the height of the mountains to the sides of Lebanon, and I'll cut down the tall cedars thereof and the choice fir trees thereof, and I'll enter into the heights of the border and the forest of Carmel. 37 verse 25. I have digged and drunk water, and with the sole of my feet have I dried up the rivers of the besieged places. He's talking about what all he's done, what all he's done. Verse 27 Hast thou not heard long ago how I've done it, and of ancient times that I formed it, and now how I've brought to pass thou shouldest be laid waste, defense cities unto uh, ruinous heaps. Therefore thy inhabitants were a small power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were on the grass of the field and the green herb, the grass on the high top is as corn blasted before it's grown up. But now, now thy abode and thy going out and thy coming in and thy rage against me. And this is, notice what he says in verse uh, 33. God speaks out to him. He says, therefore thus saith the Lord God concerning the king of Assyria. He shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shields, nor cast a bank against it. Look down, if you will, at verse 36. Then the angel of the Lord went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and fourscore and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. Slew a, slew a hundred and eighty-five thousand. Just because this evil king was making boast of what he was going to do and what God was not going to do. You see, friend, listen. The Lord is sovereign, sovereign over all. He holds them these kings these people with power the president even our president he holds them in the palm of his hand and this is a promising this is a this is a promise to us that god is sovereign and god does what he says he'll do and because he's this holy and sovereign king he's worthy of worship but not only here but all over the face of the earth We need to be sharing the gospel everywhere because God, this holy, incomprehensible, glorious God who reigns forever and forever, is worthy of worship here and all over the earth. But secondly, we pray, give, and go because we're sinfully lost people. Now, notice Isaiah's response to to God. Back in Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah saw himself, it was not wow, man, but it was what? It was woe. Whoa. Woe. Whoa. Woe's an interesting word there in verse five. It means ruin upon me. It means destruction upon me. It means I am lost. One translation, King James says, I'm undone. He says, woe of, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm undone. I'm lost. I'm ruin is upon me. Now, the problem that the majority of us have is failing to understand the proper view of ourselves as sinners. Um, The more I studied this, I could understand how Isaiah saw a proper view of himself in regards to his sin. But I'm afraid that we have no clue of the seriousness of our sin before a holy God. Whether it's lying, whether it's cheating, whether it's stealing, whether it's some type of uh, immoral conduct, we do not comprehend the seriousness of that sin in the eyes of a holy God. It's serious. Genesis 19, Sodom and Gomorrah are completely destroyed because of sin. Lot and his family, they ran for their lives, and, and his wife just glanced back, just for a glance, and immediately... Immediately, she turned into a pillar of salt. In Leviticus chapter 10, Aaron had two sons, Nadab and Abihu. And they one time, they offered a fire, a burnt offering to the Lord. And because it was unauthorized, they immediately were consumed by the flames of that offering. Numbers chapter 15, you find a guy that's just out picking up sticks on the Sabbath day, and he was carried before the Lord, and, and the people said, what shall we do with him for working on the Sabbath? And, and God says, stone him. And they stone him for picking up sticks. Sin is serious. Disobeying God is serious. Acts chapter 5, a husband and wife they're deceiving the church. They're deceiving God. They're deceiving the Holy Spirit. And they're lying during an offering and they were struck dead. Now, as you look at these examples, and there are plenty more in God's word, we think, man, man, that's kindly, that's kindly going beyond God. I mean, that's kindly that's kindly doing a lot for something that's so insignificant as picking up a stick. I mean. You're stoned for picking up sticks and you're kindly turned into a pillar of salt for looking back and you're consumed by, by fire and then you die for a lie? We think those examples are real severe because we, you know, we have a man-centered perspective of sin and not a God-centered perspective of sin. See, please remember this. It's not how large or how small your sin is. The severeness is who is you and I sin against. That's the importance. An example that is that uh, you you can sin against a rock, and uh, you, you know you would not be that guilty. You could sin against a man, and you're guilty. You can sin against an infinite God, and you're for you're infinitely guilty of sin. Think of Genesis three. Think of the first couple that sinned by just eating a piece of fruit, taking a bite of a piece of fruit. From that one sin came condemnation on all mankind throughout all ages. Think of that. Think of all the effects of sin. Think of the immoral effects of sin. Think of the evil effects of sin. Think of the natural effects of sin, such as, and I believe there's hurricanes and tornadoes and tsunamis, Think of what comes from sex trafficking and, and murder and war. It all goes back because someone disobeyed God by tasting of a piece of fruit that was forbidden. Think of that. And we have committed thousands and upon thousands and upon thousands of them. So how can you and I ever stand before an incomprehensible holy God and not be destroyed. We pray, we give, we go, because we are significantly lost people. Number three, jot this one down. We have a merciful Savior. Isaiah cries out from the depths of his sinfulness, and the Lord responds from the depths of his mercy. There in verse 6 and 7. He says, Then flew one of the seraphims upon me, having a live coal in his hand which he'd taken from the tongues of the altar, and he laid upon my mouth, and lo and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. You notice that? Isaiah's is a sinful man, he's undone, he's in his sin. Then all of a sudden God says, Listen, you're 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 not guilty. How can a holy God say to a guilty sinner like Isaiah, you're not guilty? Isaiah was guilty, but now God says he's not guilty. God takes people who are totally rebellious against him. You see it in the scripture, and he says you're righteous. He's taken us who have been totally rebellious, and now he says we're righteous. And see, when you think of Isaiah 6, you have to understand it foreshadows Isaiah 53 when it speaks of a a Savior who who comes and is willing to die on the cross for my sins and for your sins. Isaiah 54. Look, if you will, at the screen just for a moment. Isaiah 54. Notice what God's Word says in verse 4. Isaiah 54. I believe it's verse 4. It says, Fear not, Isaiah 53, verse 4. I'm sorry, Joel. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely He hath borne our griefs, He's carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions, He was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. In verse 6, we've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord God has laid upon Him Jesus, the iniquity of us all. You realize what he just said there? You see, this is is what's happening when Jesus went to the cross. Now, you may be here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. You've never put your faith in Christ. But when Jesus went to the cross, he was going to pay the price. He was going to endure the penalty. He was going in the place of sinners. He was going in your place. He was going in my place. He was, he was going to take the right righteous wrath of God that's due sinners, that's due you, that's due me. Jesus went to the cross. Here's the point. Jesus stepped into my place. Jesus stepped into your place. And He says, I'll take that wrath for you. I'll take that upon Myself. That's what Jesus did for you. That's what Jesus did for me. This was what was happening at the cross. And you have, to, you have to see things deeper at the cross than just the physical things going on at the cross. You have to see more than the, the crown of thorns. You have to see more than the nail-pierced hands. Sure, the suffering really has a great impact on the crucifixion, and, and there's a lot of suffering there, and we should never forget that. But it's more than just the physical things. He speaks in the garden about a cup of wrath that was going to be poured out upon him. And, and and he's crying to the point he's praying and crying to blood breaks forth from his brow. The sweat turns to blood. And he's praying that intense that intensely. Now, some some people say, Well, he was afraid to die. Was Jesus afraid to die? Was he afraid of being arrested? Was he afraid of being tortured? Was he afraid of being crucified? He wasn't afraid. I was reading about Christopher Love, and Platt mentions Christopher Love, great missionary, and he was on the way to the gallows. He was fixing to lose his head, and his wife wrote him a note. And she said this, and I quote, "...today they will sever you from your physical head, but they cannot sever you from your spiritual head, Jesus Christ." And he goes to the gallows, singing while his wife is applauding and clapping her hands. Now the question is, did they have more courage than Jesus Christ? Of course not. Jesus is not a coward in the garden about to face Roman soldiers, but he's a savior who is about to endure the total wrath of God on himself for your sins and for my sins. That was the torment he was going through in the garden. And he took all of it. The Bible says he drank the full cup of it. The full wrath of God. He drank the entire cup. And he said, it is finished. So that you and I could stand before a holy God and hear him say, I remember your sins no more. Does he forget? No, he doesn't forget. But he chooses not to remember those. Platt used the illustration. I really liked it. talked about a guy that bought a Rolls Royce. And those Rolls Royce, they were never to break down. But his broke down. And he called the company, and they flew a guy in on a helicopter mechanic to repair that Rolls Royce. He repaired the Rolls Royce, and they flew him out with a helicopter. And the guy got to thinking, man, I don't know what this is going to cost me. So he calls the company, calls Rolls Royce, and he says, listen, I, this is so-and-so, so-and-so. My car broke down, and, and someone flew out in a heli- flew someone out in a helicopter, a mechanic, and he repaired it, and they flew him back. And I just want to know about what my bill is, what I owe. And they put him on hold and for a few minutes, and they came back, and they said, we have no record of anything having gone wrong with your Rolls Royce. And here's what Jesus is saying after we receive him into our life to be our Lord and Savior. He says this, one day we'll stand before him. And then he says it now, I have no record whatsoever of anything that you've done in your life. It's all been forgiven. And I choose not to remember it. We go, we pray, we give because of incomprehensible, glorious God who reigns. Who, we are sinfully lost people and we have a merciful God who saves us, and I'll close with this real quick. We have an urgent mission We have an urgent mission. Now, Isaiah 6, it makes sense when God says in verse 8, Whom shall I send? Who will go for me? And Isaiah cries out, Here I am, Lord, send me. You see, the gospel doesn't solicit casual Christians. The gospel solicits total commitment. Total abandonment. The gospel is serious about people coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This is, this is a get serious with God gospel. This is a take up your cross daily and follow me gospel. This is a Luke 9, 23, 26 gospel. I give you that passage, Joel, I don't know. Take up your cross Daily. And follow me. That's the type of gospel. The point is our God is is worth so much more. Our God is worth so much more than a casual, watered down, complacent, run of the mill. It's all about me being catered to comfortable Christianity. And that's what we hear today in the world in which we live. Our God's worthy of absolute submission and declaring His glory to the ends of the earth. Now, there are about two billion people in the world who've never heard the gospel. Think of that. They don't have access to it. They don't have a church to go to. Missionaries haven't arrived there yet. They're referred to as unreached people groups. Unreached. You s- some people say, well, what about our town? Well, our town has access to the gospel. They have churches to go to. Sure, we're to tell them, we're to share the gospel of those in our community. We, I'm not saying we're not to do that, but I'm saying they have access. I have people to tell me, you know, listen to your worship service on, on the radio on Sunday, Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock. We hear the service on the radio. We, we watch your service the other day in the doctor's office in Florence. We watch your service on, on a Monday night on TV coming out of Russellville. They have access to it. But these that I'm speaking of, they don't have access. The point is we have to be willing to pray, to give, and to go. We have an incomprehensible God who reigns, who saves a sinfully lost people by a merciful God, and we have an urgent mission to let the unreached hear. Do you know they have knowledge of God already? That's what Romans 1 says. They're like all of us. We we've rebelled against God. They've rebelled against God, and woe is upon them. And they don't know what to do. They're lost, and we know how they can be found. And so we need to be like Isaiah and say, "Here am I. Send me. I'll give. I'll go. I'll pray." It's going to be costly. It'll be costly especially with unreached people groups. It'll be costly, it'll be dangerous, it'll be difficult. It, you know, they're going to be hard to reach, hard places to reach. It's going to be costly, but it's going to be worth it one day when all the nations of every tribe, of every nation gather around the throne and we all together sing, Holy, Holy, Holy. Lord God of hosts. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for a time just to reflect upon Isaiah chapter 6. Thank you just for a simple outline. Thank you for the God that we serve who reigns. Thank you, Lord, and we realize the seriousness of sin today. But we also realize your mercy and grace that's bestowed upon us. And we realize the mission that we have before us. Father, we pray today as this invitation hymn is is given, this is your invitation as you call people forward to respond to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came, he died on the cross for their sins, for all of mankind's sins. You suffer the total wrath of God that they would have to suffer. That yet you went to the cross on our behalf and you were willing to suffer the wrath of God. And Lord, through our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, our sins can be forgiven and will be forgiven if people would only call upon you to have mercy, to forgive them and to save them. You promise in your word that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we pray, Lord, they'll begin that, they'll call out today and begin that Christian walk today. We pray again for our missionaries. We pray for those that are listening today, whether by radio or whether they'll be watching this service on TV, as you reach out and wherever they may be and call them forth to be a missionary. But help us, Lord, who are not called to go, help us to be willing to pray and willing to give and support those that you send. Help us, we pray, Lord, to support them every way that we can. Help us to be willing to give, a, give a, a, a testimony and share the gospel of those that we come in contact here. And Lord, that we might see others come to know you as Lord and Savior of their life. Thank you for what you're going to do in this invitation today. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.